Pastor Dean, my voice has never sounded so good. <laughs> good to see you. Good to see you, Paul. You as well, my God friend. bless you. you as well. Right. <laughs> well, good morning, everybody. It is good to see you. Thank you for wearing your mask, because now I get to play. I wonder who that is sitting back there. Uh, wow. Who would ever thought in your lifetime in the United States of America that we would be living in times like this, eh? But you remember, remember what Esther's uncle Mordecai told her, right? For such a time as this, you were born. For such a time as this. This is your time. This is your opportunity to glorify God in a way that no one else will be able to throughout history. Glorify him by being authentic and genuine, by being real and being at peace. Being at peace. Um, I don't know if you personally are given to worry and panic. I mean, I wouldn't be surprised if you were. It happens among all of us, and uh, it's normal, it's natural. But you can be and rest assured that there's no reason to to panic, to worry. There's no reason. Uh, Sherry and I were in, uh, I think it was uh, Kansas, and uh, they have those big blaring horns on the side of the freeway. If you guys see those, do you know what I'm talking about in case a tornado comes or a night tornado? Uh, her, no, a tornado, yeah. Right? <clears throat> and they went off blaring, and we were uh, told to get off the road and seek shelter right away. And we'd never been in anything like this before. 122 degree heat, sure, you bet, but not a tornado. So we, we got off the freeway and we went into a, um, it was a hotel, a resort type of building and there were about 200, 300 people huddled in there and the power was off. And I didn't really know, you know, nobody was panicking or anything, but I, I, I didn't know what to do. I saw some, some men in there who were wearing um, um, garb like they worked for the state of Kansas. So I went up to them and asked, I said, uh, you know, should we be concerned? I mean, because when I got out of my van, you know, the door just about got ripped off and flown in the air. I said, I, should I be concerned? And he said, son, if you see us getting worried and walking out of here, then you need to be concerned. <laughs> right? Uh, God is not getting up the throne and walking out the airplane. He is, he is absolutely stable, and we are stable in him. Amen. Amen? Now, if you have your Bibles with you, I want you to open to the book of Exodus. We are in the 29th chapter of Exodus, and we are going to be going through verses 22 through about 41, I think it is. And um, let's pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you that you are the creator of the universe. 
that you are eternal, that you have no beginning, you have no ending, that you are in the eternal present, and that you're omniscient, you know all things, and you've known all things from the beginning, that through the eons of time, you saw this moment that we are living in now. And you have promised us through your word and through the righteousness of your son, Jesus Christ, that you will never leave us nor forsake us. That you will strengthen us, give us the patience, the endurance, and the perseverance to endure all things. So I pray that as we get into your word today that you would settle hearts that are unsettled, that you would remind them that you are God and that there is none other and that you have our seasons and our times in your hands and that all things, and that's all inclusive, all things will work together for good because we love you and we're called according to your purpose. So bless our time now in your holy word. It's in Jesus' name I pray, and everyone said. Amen. Some of you guys are about my age, and you remember a singer by the name of Jackie DeShannon. You ever heard of Jackie DeShannon, anybody? A few of you have, right? Ian, not so much. Okay. <laughs> All right. Well, she was a, a very... Uh, Oh, I would say a mild version of Lady Gaga, Beyonce, all those guys back in the day. And she sang a song that we all remember. What the world needs now is love, sweet love. That's just what there's too little of, right? Yeah. Well, that's a, that was a great anthem for the 60s when they were marching in the streets protesting the war, you know. And then, of course, her and her agents are going to war with their lawyers and over copyright laws and things like that. But what the world needs now <laughs> is love, sweet love. Well, I disagree. What the world needs now is Jesus, sweet Jesus, right? What the world needs now is the church to stand up and be the church. And I don't mean that in a radical, you know, pounding the pulpit, you got to turn or burn, praise God. Not that kind of church, but demonstrating Jesus by radical love for one another and for our neighbor. Solid and confident in our doctrine, solid and confident in our relationships, and being able to give an answer for the hope that is within us during these types of times. And what I see as a pastor is the church needs consecration. I don't know what that word means to you, but fundamentally it means to be set apart for a special purpose. And that special purpose is to present Christ to the world. I believe that we need to have a deliberate dedication to the Lord and His agenda Christians living as living sacrifices, loving the Lord with all their hearts, their minds, their soul, and their strength, and loving their neighbors as themselves. Now, fortunately, this is doable. 
Everything has been provided for us. Our sins have been atoned for, so there's no need to feel guilty or hypocritical. And examples have been provided for us to learn from, to understand how these spiritual principles are put into place and worked out in our daily lives. So let's start off with a review. Um, it'll be a short one from last week's teaching. Um, if you've been with us and you've been in the book of Exodus, you know that geographically we're at Mount Sinai. Moses has been up into the mountain and he's been receiving instruction from God. And in chapter 29, he is talking about a consecration ceremony, dedicating Aaron, Moses' brother, and his sons to the priestly family or to a priesthood. This is a big deal. It's a high honor. And God is going to show it by ceremony just how significant it is. Numbers 18.7, do you remember that verse I read last week? It says, I give your priesthood to you as a gift for service. If God is handing out gifts, he's handing out gifts. There are certain people that I love to get gifts from, you know, and then certain people, when I get the gift, I know it's not going to be much, right? But when God gives out a gift, wow, you can't wait to rip that baby open. And the gift that he has given is a special privilege of service, the priesthood. Now, we learned last week that we are called to be a kingdom of priests. 1 Peter 2, 5 says, You also, as living stones, are built up a spiritual house, a holy priesthood to offer up spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. And then down to verse 9, he says, You are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, his own special people, that you may proclaim the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Dude, you're honored. You are absolutely honored. Now, in chapter 29, verses 1 through 21, we dealt with mostly the requirements for the atonement aspect of this consecration ceremony. Today we're going to deal with the fellowship aspect and what consecration requires for fellowship to occur. Now, fellowship with God, you got to understand, is equally important as atonement. You guys know what atonement means, right? To make at one with God, to be able to be right with God. Uh, imputed to us is the righteousness of Christ because of his sacrifice and the blood that was shed that atoned for our sins. So now we are at one with God. We have that privilege. But now, equally important to God is the fellowship that we share with him, the relationship aspect of things, being able to come into his presence with boldness, to, to claim grace and mercy when we have need, to make prayers to him according to his will and see them accomplished. That's fellowship. But without atonement, there is no fellowship and there is no consecration. So we pick up our consecration preparation in verse 22. Let's read this together, shall we? 
Also you shall take the fat of the ram, the fat tail, the fat that covers the entrails, the fatty lobe attached to the liver, the two kidneys and the fat on them, the right thigh, for it is a ram of consecration, one loaf of bread, one cake made with oil, and one wafer from the basket of the unleavened bread that is before the Lord. And you shall put all of these in the hands of Aaron, in the hands of his sons, and you shall wave them as a wave offering before the Lord. All right. You got to admit that that looks kind of weird, right? Um, what is going on here? Well, what's going on here is a wave offering. This consecration requires, requires, requires a wave offering, all right? A wave offering is, is part of the offerings in the Mosaic Law, and it was symbolic. It was a symbolic act indicating that the offering was for the Lord. Portions of the things offered were literally waved in the air before the Lord. It's an offering that's presented to God. Um, here, this is yours. That's what a wave offering is. Now, have a couple different ways they did it. Uh, when they would lift it straight up and then bring it down and lift it up, that was called the heave offering. Sort of like what you do when you go on an airliner, right? And you heave your carry-on luggage over the seat above you, right? Or you watch someone struggling to heave a yak up into their compartment and you try to help them out. Little Brian Regan there for you. And then the wave was literally waved like this over the altar to the Lord. It was presentation to God, basically. And it was God's provision for those who sacrifice themselves in service to him because after it's waved, it's going to be given back and these things will be eaten by the priests and their family. Now, it symbolizes setting aside yourself for sacred service, putting God and his interests first and foremost Surrendering to his will for your life and loving him with all your soul, mind, and strength. God, you've given me life. I'm giving it back to you. That's what the symbolism is. It's a symbolic act of devotion indicating that the offering was exclusively, exclusively for the Lord. It says, what you have called us to do, we will do it, and we will give our best and do it. Here, this is for you. Now, some of you guys have pets that bring wave offerings to you. Did you know that? Right? Some of you have the cat that will come in and drop the dead mouse on your pillow. Right? And said, hey, I was thinking of you. Here, this is for you. There's a picture up there behind me of... One dog that they threw a ball for it to go chase and it came back with a potato. <laughs> All right. And there's another dog up there that just brought a clump of dirt. Stinking of you. Here's your dirt. You see, it's good to acknowledge whom you owe your devotion to, to whom you owe your very breath. Remember, Paul was talking in the book of, of Acts to the Athenians, and he made this statement, for in him, that is, our God, 
we live and move and have our being, as also some of your own poets have said, where we are also his offspring. Matthew Henry, in commenting on that very statement, said, hold on, I lost it. It's behind, I know, I know. <laughs> you do want to read it for me? No, I want to read it myself. <laughs> hang on, hang on, hang on. This is Matthew Henry. Since in him and upon him we live, we ought to live to him. And since in him we move, we ought to move towards him. And since in him we have our being, and from him we receive all the supports and comforts of our being, we ought to consecrate our being to him. Get the idea here? He gave us life, and then he gave his life to give us life again. It's only reasonable then that we give him our life, as Paul tells us in Romans 12, 1. I beseech you, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifices, which is your reasonable service. All right. Next comes the burnt offering in verse 25. It says, you shall receive them back from their hands. That's the kidneys and the liver and the fat and the right thigh. And burn them all on the altar as a burnt offering, as a sweet aroma before the Lord. It's an offering made by fire to the Lord. So, this is yours, Lord. It's the best of the sacrifice of consecration. We offer it to you, and now God is giving it back. And the wave offering is going to become a burnt offering. The burnt offering was an acknowledgement of the sin nature and a request for a renewed relationship with God. I recognized that I needed a, a sacrifice for my being, so thank you for the sacrifice. So here, have this. I consecrate to you my life. I want a good relationship with you. The Hebrew word for burnt offering actually means to ascend, or literally to go up in smoke. Some of you have been business owners and have seen your businesses go up in smoke, you know? After 20 years of hard labor, there it goes. You got bankruptcy, just went up in smoke. Well, why is God, why is God burning this sacrifice? Because the smoke is rising in the air and it becomes a soothing aroma to the Lord. He's into aromatherapy. <laughs> All right, no. The importance of the sacrifice's aroma is not the smell, but what the smell represents, a living sacrifice, willingly given. I drive up to my home and I pull into the garage get out of my car and I walk in through the door and immediately I'm in our kitchen, right? And if there's a smell of charcoal hanging in the air, then that represents to me a burnt offering. And tonight we're heading out for takeout. <laughs> All right? 
However, if I pull into the garage and I haven't even gotten into the kitchen, and there's a savory scent of garlic and basil and oregano and tomato and onion and rosemary and sage all mixed together. Aha, that represents Mama Paglia's spaghetti. Okay, and I hope we're having ricatoni and not angel hair pasta. You see, smells represent things, right? 2 Corinthians 2.15, turn there please in your Bible, 2 Corinthians 2.15, and there's a, is there a way I can get rid of that thing popping? Turn it on. There we go. All right. Now this, this is about you and how you smell. Okay? This is about you and how you smell. I know some of us guys especially, we go nose blind, don't we? Right? We don't, we don't pick it up. But God smells you all the time. And all the time to him. You smell good. Look at it. We are to God the pleasing aroma of Christ among those who are being saved and those who are perishing. I like the New Living Translation rendering of it. It says, our lives are a Christ-like fragrance rising up to God. Well, I kind of like to think that Jesus was a very, very sweet-smelling person. And that when we say we have the fragrance of Christ, that that's one of those scents that lingers in the air that just, yeah, sends you to good places. Warren Wiersbe said, Paul pictures the Christian ministry. He saw believers as incense, giving forth the fragrance of Jesus Christ in their lives and labors to God. Believers are the very fragrance of Jesus Christ. That believer sitting next to you, maybe they got a little too much Old Spice on, but that's the fragrance of Christ, guys. That's the fragrance of Christ. So in the act of consecrating our life to God, we prepare to be a burnt offering, a faithful servant, and an influencer for the gospel. And this earns God's smile as he closes his eyes and draws in the scented aroma of the perfumed fragrance of Christ. That's a good thing. All right, let's go back to Exodus 29 and look at verses 26 to 28. And here we see that consecration requires a heave offering. Then you shall take the breast of the ram of Aaron's consecration and wave it as a wave offering before the Lord, and it shall be your portion. And from the ram of the consecration, you shall consecrate the breast of the wave offering, which is waved, and the thigh of the heave offering, which is raised, and that which is for Aaron, and of that which is for his sons. It shall be from the children of Israel for Aaron and his sons by a statute forever. For it is a heave offering. It shall be a heave offering from the children of Israel, from the sacrifices of their peace offerings, that is, their heave offering to the Lord. Now, a heave offering is not so much an offering as a way of presenting an offering to God. 
Like I said earlier, it is where you are lifting it up and you are shoving it into that compartment above your seat in the airliner. It's a, it's a lifting it up and then raising it down towards yourself. Most biblical instances, the heave offering was the part of the sacrifice that was set up and lifted up for higher purposes, for higher purposes. What would the higher purpose be here? Well, do you remember it said that this portion is set aside for you, right? It's to sustain life to those who are serving the Lord. This offering was given to Aaron and his sons to eat. And even more than that, it marks a continued fellowship between God and his servants because whenever there is a meatloaf being put on the table, God's there. All right? Totally into fellowshipping with you as you eat. Spurgeon said, Let not this distinction be forgotten. The eating of the sacrifice is not intended to give life, but to sustain the life which is there already. A believing look at Christ makes you live, but spiritual life must be fed and sustained. Early thing I learned in Calvary Chapel was seven days without the word makes one week. Think about it. Think about it. Yeah, exactly. You see, Jesus said, Abide in me, John 15, 4, and I in you, as the branch cannot bear fruit of itself unless it abides in the vine. Neither can you unless you abide in me. Now, when we talk about where we're at today, when we talk about the things that as a, a community of believers that we're lacking, it's because of this. We are, are listless and weak because we are not abiding in Christ. We're not talking about your eternal salvation. That one's locked down. But you're prayerless and you're powerless. And there's no fruit coming from your life because you're not abiding in him. You've got to abide in him. He's a God of relationship. He is a God of relationship. You can't sustain ministry or spiritual life without abiding in him. Jesus is saying, cling to me, because if you don't, there won't be any fruit coming from your life. Well, what kind of fruit? What are you talking about? Well, Romans 1.13 and John chapter 4 identify fruit as winning lost souls. When's the last time you were involved in that? Romans 6.22 defines fruit as holiness. And Romans 15.28 names financial giving as fruit. Colossians chapter 1 describes fruit as helping others practically. Hebrews 13 tells us that we have fruit on our lips or from our lips, namely giving praise to his name. And ultimately, the most important fruit is that which comes and spoken of in Galatians 5.22, the fruit of the Spirit. Which is what, guys? Love. That's right. And then all the words that come after, gentleness, goodness, joy, peace, long-suffering, faith, meekness, self-control, all of that describe the love. Now, that's fruit. But 
if there is not a consecrated life that is abiding in Christ, you will be lacking in that. And that is a prayerless, powerless life. I hope you aspire to more. I hope you don't settle for Christian mediocrity or spiritual mediocrity. I hope you will go for the gold in Christ. All right, let's go back to Exodus 29, or if you're there, look at verses 29 through 37. And here we're going to see that consecration requires passing the torch. Look at verse 29. And the holy garments of Aaron shall be his sons after him, to be anointed in them and to be consecrated in them. The son who becomes priest in his place shall put them on for seven days, when he enters the tabernacle of meeting to minister in the holy place. This whole ceremony is seven days long, okay? So, you know, you, when you're complaining about going to your nephew's graduation and you gotta sit there for an hour and a half or two hours, you haven't done nothing, all right? This is a seven day ceremony. And what verse 29 and 30 is telling us is that when Aaron passes on, the next son in line, which in his case is Eliezer, is going to become the high priest. Sorry, Siri. Now, you, as we've already established, are in the priesthood, right? Can we agree to that? Right? And that's going to last you your lifetime. It's going to be many consecrations when you're going to come, when you're going to realize that you've sort of fallen away and you want to come back. It's a good thing. But there is going to come a time when you're going to need to pass it on when you're gonna to need to hand it down to the next generation. And hopefully you're thinking about that. I've tried to um, drill it into those who, um, of our staff and leadership here, is that you've always gotta be preparing to leave your position. Not because you're gonna get fired, but because you're gonna get called on sometime. And you need to invest into to others. Paul certainly did that. In uh, 2 Timothy 3.10, you can turn there if you like, Paul, who is writing to his protege, Timothy, and who is coming towards the end of his life, says, you have carefully followed my doctrine. This is 2 Timothy 3.10. My manner of life, my purpose, my faith, my long-suffering, my love, my perseverance, persecutions, afflictions, what happened to me at Antioch and Iconium and Lystra, what persecutions I endure, and out of them all the Lord delivered me. Yes, and all who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus will suffer persecution. You've seen me, Timothy. You've been around me. You, you have observed what faith is all about. And then in chapter 4, verse 2, he tells them, So, preach the word. Be ready in season, out of season. Convince, rebuke, exhort with all long-suffering and teaching. He's passing the torch. All right, I've shown you by my lifestyle what ministry is all about. Now, here's what you do, Timothy. You take the torch and you move on. It's inevitable, and we need to prepare. As we lead, there's going to be a handful of individuals that will be yours. Ones that you can pass many of the same values and skills and wisdom that you have gained. You're going to pass them on to those who will replace you. And when you pass the torch, you're casting a wider net. 
There will be people that we could not influence, yet the new leader will. Likewise, there will be people in the next generation that we cannot influence, yet the ones that you invest in will. That's the way it should be. A writer uh, said, some time ago, Jesus changed your life. For most of us, someone passed or helped pass him to us. Now it's our turn. Throughout our leadership journey, our greatest responsibility is to create disciples of Jesus. It's fantastic that we'll have the wonderful opportunity to pass our contributions to the next leader and next generation. But how much more thrilling is it to pass on Jesus? Isn't that awesome? I'm thinking the best thing that I'm going to pass on are all my stupid dad jokes. Okay, especially the saying, I love you more than a bag of hammers. Okay, that's going to go on down forever. <laughs> all right. Look at verses 31 and 33. And we see that consecration um, requires fellowship. Verse 31, Exodus 29. And you shall take the ram of the consecration and boil its flesh in the holy place. Then Aaron and his son shall eat the flesh of the ram and the bread that is in the basket by the door of the tabernacle of meeting. They shall eat those things with which the atonement was made to consecrate and to sanctify them. But an outsider shall not eat them because they are holy. So what we have here is an exclusive meal between Aaron's, his sons, and God. And if you're not part of the family, you can't partake, all right? You guys are part of the family, so don't worry. You're part of that exclusive club. However, there are those who are not, and those are the ones that we need to invite in. This is called a peace offering, even though it's not specifically called that there, or here in this passage. The worshiper would give the peace offering as a way to say thank you for God's unsought generosity. It was basically just a way to praise God for his goodness. It's like when you're invited some over, over somebody's house for a dinner where they want to celebrate you and say thank you for what you've done for us. Spurgeon says, the Lord's part was consumed with fire upon the altar and another portion was eaten by man in the holy place. The peace offering was thus an open declaration of the communion which had been established between God and man, so that they ate together rejoicing in the same offering. So basically, it's a way to praise God for his goodness towards you. All right. And if there are leftovers... Well, look at verse 34. If any of the flesh of the consecration offerings or the bread remains until the morning, then you shall burn the remainder with fire. It shall not be eaten because it is holy. It's not to be given as scraps to the dogs. It's not to be given to anybody outside of the priesthood. You burn it. And we're talking totally consume it. All right. Thus shall you do, verse 35, to Aaron and his sons, according to all that I have commanded you. Seven days you shall consecrate them, and you shall offer a bull every day as a sin offering for atonement. 
You shall cleanse the altar when you make atonement for it, and you shall anoint it to sanctify it. Seven days you shall make atonement for the altar and sanctify it, and the altar shall be most holy. Whatever touches the altar must be holy. So the leftovers were burnt so they couldn't be eaten by anyone else. And then for seven days, as they lived at the tabernacle, they ate the ram in consecration and the bread of consecration, and that was for their sustenance. And every day there was another large animal to sacrifice and to use its blood for atonement, and they go through this process every day for seven days. I want you to notice here that this ceremony is not quick, and it's not easy. It isn't just standing in front and having someone come down and pin a medal to your lapel. It's bloody. It's laborious. It's detailed. It takes time to reflect. And you have this constant awareness of sacrifice and atonement. Why so hard? Why so much work? Because a serious word picture is being painted here. Hebrews 10.4, y'all. Turn to Hebrews 10.4. See what I'm talking about. A serious word picture is being painted by the Lord. In Hebrews 10.4, it says, It's not possible that the blood of bulls and goats could take away sins. See, no animal sacrifice could take away sin. It could only provide a temporary covering. Therefore, sacrifices had to be offered twice a day. And then all throughout your lifetime, every day, sacrifices, 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 sacrifices. And it would be that way up until Jesus was crucified and rose from the dead. And then at 70 AD, the sacrifices stopped when Titus invaded Jerusalem and hauled everybody off. And it's been stopped since then up until this day. We don't worry about that because in verse 1010, it says, God's will was for us to be made holy by the sacrifice of the body of Christ once for all time. Don't need to have sacrifices for us anymore. Now we offer up the sacrifices of praise and thanksgiving. We don't crucify Christ to us afresh, as Paul said. And what can you say to that? Thank you. Thank you for that unsought generosity. Praise you for your goodness. All right. <clears throat> Let's look at verses 38 through 41, chapter 29, Exodus. Consecration, preparation requires offering up yourself continuously. Verse 38. <clears throat> now this is what you shall offer on the altar. Two lambs of the first year, day by day, continually. One lamb you shall offer in the morning, and the other lamb you shall offer at twilight. With the one lamb shall be one-tenth of an eve half of flour, mixed with one-fourth of a hen of pressed oil, one-fourth of a hen of wine as a drink offering. And the other lamb you shall offer at twilight, and you shall offer with it the grain offering and the drink offering, as in the morning, for a sweet aroma made by fire to the Lord. Where do I throw it, guys? 
it's okay. Please mom, can you turn it back on? We're fine. There we go. Thank you. All right. After the ceremony of consecration, the priests are going to continue on, as I said, with these daily sacrifices. You want to give me the other one? Um, and every day is given to God, beginning and ending, by sacrifices of atonement and consecration. How are we doing, everybody? Anybody know a good joke? All right. We are to offer up ourselves as a living sacrifice every day. There we are. How's that? We are to offer ourselves up as living sacrifices daily. That's consecration. It's not one and done. It's continuous. It's daily. As one commentator said, we should have morning prayer where we offer up sacrifices of praise and dedication and evening prayer where we offer up praise and ask for mercy and forgiveness. Okay? All right. Realize this. As you prepare to offer yourself up to be consecrated into God's service, that you will be offering up yourself continuously. And the cool thing is, is that you will be accepted continuously. So, as a matter of review, our consecration requires God, uh, giving God a way of offering, which is committing to him our best in time, talent, and treasure. Our consecration requires preparing ourselves to be a burnt offering, a faithful servant, an influencer for the gospel. And this earns God's smile closes his eyes, he draws in the scented aroma of the perfumed fragrance of Christ. Our consecration requires a heave offering, which signifies living for a higher purpose. Spiritual life must be fed and sustained, so you must abide in Christ. Apart from that, you can do nothing. Consecration requires fellowship, where you remember to say thank you for God's unsought generosity and praise for his goodness. And consecration requires rededicating yourself to God, offering yourself up continuously, knowing that you will always, always be accepted in the beloved. Okay? Got it? All right, come on up, guys. We're going to get into the second part of our worship here. And... Um, what time did our service start? Okay. All right. Don't fall asleep yet. Okay. You need to meditate on a few things that were said here because I know as soon as you walk out this door, out of sight, out of mind. I've done my bird dogging. You know what that is? Bird dogging? You ever heard that phrase before? It's when you set your dog out to hunt birds, right? I've hunted my bird. Now it's time for you to respond. I've done my job. Now it's time for you to do yours. Where are you in this concentration continuum? Where are you? I wouldn't be surprised if some of us here need to rededicate our lives 
to God. It's not get saved again. All right. It's just to recommit, rededicate, reconsecrate. <clears throat> you don't need to be ashamed because you're in really good company. Really good company. One of the <clears throat> spiritual writers that pastors like to read and always feel guilty after they read him is A.W. Tozer. Any of you heard of A.W. Tozer? <clears throat> he wrote a book called The Pursuit of God. And understanding, he wrote every chapter on his knees. Literally on his knees. Prayerfully. And here is his prayer. He's a spiritual giant in so many of our eyes. But listen to his prayer. Father, I want to know you, but my coward heart fears to give up its toys. I cannot part with them without inward bleeding, and I do not try to hide from you the terror of the parting. I come trembling, but I do come. Please root from my heart all those things which I have cherished so long and which have become a very part of my living self so that you may enter and dwell without rival in my heart. Then shalt thou make the place of thy feet glorious. Then shall my heart have no need of the sun to shine in it, for yourself will be the light of it, and there shall be no night there. In Jesus' name, amen. Very poetic. Very well put. But let me ask you guys. When he said, please root from my heart all those things which I have cherished so long, and which have become a very part of my living self, so that you may enter and dwell there without arrival. Does that do something to your own heart? Is that something that you would like to say before God? I would like you to bow your heads, please. And if that speaks to your heart, I want to pray for you. I'm going to pray for you. This is an indication between you and God of reconsecration. If that echoes in your heart, would you just please raise your hand? I see that hand, I see that hand, that hand, that hand. Awesome. Praise the Lord. Over here to my right. Yes. Thank you so much. Praise God. All right. In the quietness between you and the Lord right now, just repeat after. Father in heaven, I humble myself before you and confess my sin. I want to thank you for hearing my prayer and helping me return to you. I've been wanting things to go my own way. see where I've been going 
the wrong way. I've been placing my faith and trust in everyone and anything but you. So, Father, I return now to you, to your word. Consecrate myself to you. I surrender my life for yours. I dedicate myself to pursue your interests, your agenda, and by your grace and by your mercy of your Holy Spirit, this I will do. Thank you so much for receiving me back and re-energizing my life in Christ. I pray this in Jesus' precious name. Amen. Let's all stand and we will finish our worship service.